Well, good morning. Welcome to Gospel Hope. How are you doing with the holiday season? Do you know you're in the midst of the holiday season? You know, it began a couple of weeks ago with Thanksgiving, and in a few weeks we'll have Christmas. That's really, that's really good. I'm looking forward to that. But do, I do want to think back for a minute to Thanksgiving. How was it? You know, when you have family in town, you're with family, sometimes you're not always with them, and sometimes it's kind of funky and wonky, and it goes well sometimes, and maybe not so well other times. Uh, we, had, we had a great Thanksgiving. We had family in town. We had a good time. But when I'm thinking about Thanksgiving, I also like to think about just the conversations that you have and the time around the dinner table, the time that you have uh, maybe in the family room and the conversations that go on there. Uh, we had rich conversations uh, and we had a great time with family that we don't see all the time. Now, a couple of them, however, have moved, kind of blown past Christianity into Buddhism. So some of the conversations have changed in recent years and what that looks like, what that sounds like. And we're sometimes navigating that, those boundaries and borders between different faiths and, and beliefs and what that looks like and maybe sometimes where there's disagreement. Um, and the fact that they have come through Christianity, they're very familiar with uh, some of the, uh, maybe uh, the, the flaws and faults of, uh, of Christianity as a religion and, and the church as an institution. And it doesn't help when you get defensive about that. In fact, it's really good when we begin to acknowledge some of our flaws and look at some of the history we have that we need to repent from. And, and that's always really helpful to do that. It doesn't help to get defensive. But I did notice that even so, even in spite of some of the differences, they still have a, a, a reverence for Jesus. You know, Jesus is still important to them, but not in the way that he used to be because they've drifted away from some of the things that we believe uh, as Christians about who Jesus is and what he did and why he did it and all that, that's involved with that. And so we have to navigate those, uh, those conversations very carefully, I would say. Um, but you know, it's not so different uh, with our society now. There's a, a lot of movement away from, from Christianity being the center of, 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 of our nation um, to the degree that it ever was, but we were born out of Christianity into this country and, um, and there's a lot of national uh, conversation around Christianity. And so, but, you know, in, in all of this, I'm not saying that to say, you know, as, as Christians, uh, we should be um, defensive or we should be pouting or we should be saying, uh, pushing back about the fact that maybe we're being persecuted because Christianity is kind of have a, has a shrinking part of the market out there. You know, uh, that's not really where we ought to be going in our thinking. Uh, but one thing I have noticed is that more and more, uh, as I see the, the narrative changing, um, I'm not really all that concerned about what non-Christians think about Jesus. I am concerned with what believers think about Jesus. Because there's been a drift as, we've, as the narrative has shifted. We've been drawn into the changing narrative and often we're letting go of some very, very basic truth claims of Christianity that we don't need to be letting go of. We need to be embracing and holding on to. And as that narrative shifts, we don't need to shift with that narrative. We need to figure out how to, how to engage in that narrative, but still hold on to the truth claims that are so important to our faith and what we believe in and how we follow Jesus. So today we're going to be looking at uh, a passage from the Old Testament and a passage from the New Testament. And in doing that, we're, we're, we're in this series around Christmas time talking about the birth of Christ. And we're going to look at some pas a passage in the Old Testament that anticipates the birth of Christ. And then we'll look at the passage in the New Testament that looks back on the birth of Christ and see what, what it is that we learn from those 
from those narratives, uh, from that scripture, and, and why that's important to us. So, Ashley, as we go through this, uh, part of the background, we're going to spend a lot of time with the background of the Old Testament passage and then of the New Testament, New Testament passage in Matthew chapter 1. The Old Testament passage, as was read earlier, is Isaiah chapter 7. And we'll look a little bit at that, and then we're, the story behind that, and then the New Testament passage, and see where there's correlation that we can take away and take truths there and build the foundation of our faith, uh, rest on that foundation that's been built for us. So first we're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 7. And in order to do this, I, I just want you to uh, kind of use your imagination for a moment. Imagine that you are living in about, about 700 years before the time of Christ. Uh, and you're living in Judah. Now, just to rem- give you a little bit of the history here, if you, if you don't remember this, but there was a time when all of Israel was one nation, and that was uh, King Saul was the first king, and then you had David, and then you had Solomon. But after Solomon, uh, Israel was divided into two different, two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called, retained the name of Israel, and the southern kingdom was known as Judah. So we're, we're, we're imagining we're in the southern kingdom of Judah, and Jerusalem is the capital city there, and we're all very familiar with Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the capital city, uh, but the northern kingdom, uh, that's called Israel, and they ha- their capital city is now up in Samaria. And they're not very far apart. It's, it'd be like being in Atlanta for the southern kingdom for Jerusalem, and then up to Gainesville would be Samaria. So it's not that far away, right? And so you have, uh, in this situation, you know, we're, we're living in Jerusalem, let's say, but more than that, let's imagine that you're also the king of Judah. So you're King Ahaz. So you're, you're the king, you became a king when you were 20 years old. And when that's not all that uncommon for somebody to become king that young, but uh, he's 20 years old. But you're also, what's happened is the northern kingdom, uh, Pekah is the king up there in, in, in Gainesville. Uh, but they, he has an alliance now with another king who's up in Syria. And the capital of Syria is Damascus. And Damascus is to uh, Atlanta probably what... Greenville is to Jerusalem what Greenville is to Atlanta. It's kind of just up 85 a little bit further, a few miles up. So that king, Razan, and the king over here in, uh, in Israel, Pekah, they formed an alliance, and they're bringing their armies against Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, we're scared. Your king Ahaz, and you're shaking like a leaf, is pretty much what the translation would be, a paraphrase of what, what was read early in Isaiah uh, chapter 7, where they shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So we're shaking like leaves because we don't have, we don't have the, armies to go, the army to go against these, these two combined armies, and we're scared. And Ahaz, by the way, just to let you know, you're not a man of faith. Well, well maybe you're a, well, let's put it this way. You're a person of faith, but your faith is not in Jehovah God. Your faith is in idols and these lesser gods that people had come to worship. In fact, you had sacrificed one of your sons to one of these gods. In 2 Kings chapter 16, there's a whole story about all this. So you, you are putting your faith in these lesser gods into these idols. And you're also putting your faith in, an, uh, on a human side, you're putting your faith in a ruler from up north named Tiglath-Pileser. I'm not sure what kind of name that is, but you're putting your faith in that. This, he's, really, he's really the king of the superpower of the day. He's the king of Assyria. 
And so you've, you've seen this threat coming and you go and make, uh, make a, a peace treaty with him and ask him to come to your defense in case we're attacked there in Jerusalem. So that's kind of the, the setting that's going on. So as Ahaz, as, as being as Ahaz, you are, you're putting your faith in the wrong things. Kitty used to like to describe this, this idea of, you know, it'd be like putting, having a lot of faith in thin ice. Your faith is no better than the object in which it is placed. So if you're putting your faith in very thin ice and, and decide, I have a lot of faith, I'm sure I can make it across this pond, and you go wandering across that pond, if that ice is too thin, you're, you're going down. Or, on the other hand, you could have a little faith in thick ice. And you might, you might be walking across a pond with very thick ice, but you're going across very tentatively because you don't have much faith that I, ice is going to hold you. But the faith is, is as good as what it is placed in. And for, and for Ahaz, he's put his faith in idols, and he's put his faith in Tiglath-Pileser, so that if anything happens, he feels like, now I'm safe. But he wasn't putting his faith in Jehovah God. And so that's when Isaiah comes to talk to him. And he tells him, listen, um, these two kings, these two smoldering firebrands, they're almost, they're almost, uh, they're, they've almost lost any power that they had, and they're just smoldering, and they're, they're going to go... They are not going to attack. Don't worry about them, he tells them. Isaiah tells him. And Ahaz doesn't believe him. So then we pick up the narrative in chapter, uh, in verse 10. Then again, the Lord speaks to Ahaz. And he says, ask a sign from the Lord your God. Just ask. Anything, large or small, it will give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. And then you'll know that you're not going to be invaded. Just ask for a sign. I promise this. But Ahaz, and Ahaz takes this posture of, oh, well, I wouldn't put the Lord to the test. Well, Ahaz is not sincere in that. Ahaz has no, has no desire to put, he doesn't have any trust to put in God, not in Jehovah God. And he says, I, I would not put Jehovah God to a test. I wouldn't do that. And so then Isaiah comes back and says, well, uh, we'll and we'll... We'll begin here in verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself, and, the, and now we're into the passage that, that Matthew later picks up on. But here he tells him, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, and, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's Emmanuel. L is a short for Elohim for God. And it's Imanu. It's uh, God is with us. With us, God is. That's, that's what the, the phrase actually means. And he shall eat curds and honey, and when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose uh, two kings you dread uh, will be deserted. So he's telling him that by the time this, this virgin conceives and has a child, by the time that child um, is weaned, now he's eating curds, honey, uh, by the time he's weaned, and by the time he is able, you know, I wouldn't say no is right from wrong, but he certainly knows the word no, as toddlers pretty soon learn the word no, you know, no, no, no. After a while, toddlers, they're familiar with what no means. So by the time this, this child is a toddler, I don't know, two, three, four years, then this threat's going to be gone. And so he's given him a promise, and Ahaz doesn't pick up on that. Ahaz does not uh, trust in this promise. So that's, that's sort of the backdrop. You, as, as Ahaz, you have not put your trust in what God is saying to you. 
And with the whole situation uh, with threatening armies, you're still scared, but you find in faith, you put your trust in your gods, and then you also go and you, you find Tiglath-Pileser just in case things go bad. Tiglath, he'll come down and he'll rescue you. So that's, that's the situation that's on here, and, and Isaiah gives him a promise. Now, just for your information, I'll let you know, um, uh, this crisis did, in fact, pass. Uh, they were not, in fact, invaded by, uh, by Raisin and Pika. So they, and it's because Tiglath-Pileser took care of them. But they were not invaded. But the irony is, they were invaded by Tiglath-Pileser. So the person they'd put his, he has been putting his trust in, that's the person that he really had to fear. So that's the backdrop. That's a little bit of the story, what's going on historically in this situation. So what we have is that the prophecy was fulfilled partially. In fact, they were not, they were not invaded by these two uh, armies that were coming against them. So that sense, the prophecy was fulfilled, but it wasn't fulfilled completely. And it's almost like that prophecy went silent and went dormant for 700 years until Jesus is born. And then when Matthew is, is gathering the material for his gospel, Matthew and the other, other New Testament writers, they saw, and when they knew what, what was, had been their situation with the birth of Jesus, then they looked back to the passages in the Old Testament and saw the prophecies that had been dormant, now coming alive and becoming active again. It's almost like... Matthew is looking back into the Old Testament and seeing those prophecies and then bringing them uh, to bear on the current situation. If, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 1, and then notice in Matthew chapter 1, 2, and 3, no fewer than five times, Matthew points out different circumstances of Jesus' birth and his early life, fleeing to Egypt, coming back, uh, Herod going, uh, being threatened by the birth of Jesus and killing the babies there in that area. Um, all these, pro he, he points out all those. And he says, these were all prophesied in the Old Testament. Even the town that Jesus was going to be on, the, the, where the Messiah was going to be born. All of that was prophesied. And it's almost like, uh, how many of you have been to the laser light show over at Stone Mountain, right? Okay. I remember the first time I went, I was just, I was just dazzled by, by all these lights flashing back and forth, these beam, laser lights, and they weren't diffused at all, these jewels went straight here, and then they bounced back and forth. I mean, it, it really, I, was, I was really dazzled. I thought, so this is phenomenal. I love this. And then um, I remember going a couple years later, and I got there early enough for a while they, while they were aiming the lasers. I don't know if you've been there to see that. But I was standing there, I was just looking up at the side of the mountain and noticing the trees and the rock and kind of the figures where, where some of this laser light show was going to take place. And when I looked, I, I, just, I just, all I saw were the trees and the mountain. And then this, this red laser light from behind me, from this bunker behind me, just went shooting up on the mountain. And then it immediately hit the mountain and then just ricocheted over here and here and here and here and here because they were aiming these lights. 
the red ones and the yellow ones and the blue ones. And all of a sudden I had a show going just watching that. But what they were doing, they, they were aiming at the, at the mirror that was embedded in the mountain. And from this mirror, go to this mirror, to that mirror, to that mirror. And if it, if it was out of alignment, then those lasers would miss. They'd hit one mirror, but they wouldn't hit the next mirror. And it just got to die there right in the side of the mountain. So you wouldn't have a show at all. So what I see Matthew doing is looking back in the Old Testament and now seeing the mirrors of prophecy that are there and, and connecting them. And, and these five different times in, in the first three chapters, he's talking about as the words were spoken by the prophet, the words of the prophet, uh, talking about the, the visit of the wise men, that was all prophesied. Uh, the flight to Egypt, then Herod killing the children, the return to Nazareth, going to Egypt, coming back to Nazareth, and they, even John the Baptist. So he sees as he wants us to see the prophecies that are there. And all of these are prophecies, by the way, that Jesus had nothing to do with. And there are some people who say, well, Jesus, you know, he was, you know, we, when he started his public ministry, he, he just had this aspiration to be a Messiah figure. But these are all prophecies. And so we look back at the prophecies and he would just try to act out those prophecies. But these are prophecies he had nothing to do. He could not have acted them out because he was just a baby, even his birth. All of that was prefigured in the Old Testament, now becomes alive. And fl the, the flight to Egypt and coming back, he had nothing to do with that. He was, he was just along for the ride. That was nothing that he could have anything to do with. So we start seeing all of this taking place. Matthew looking back and seeing these words, the virgin will conceive and bear a child. And then looking at the, the circumstances around the birth of Christ, and he goes, that's it. I can look back now, I can see what Isaiah was talking about, and now we have the fulfillment of what Christ, of uh, the story of Christ, we have the fulfillment of all that happening in our very day and before our very eyes. So when we look back at Isaiah, it points forward to the birth of Christ and we begin to see uh, the fulfillment of scripture, the fulfillment of the prophecies, and that helps validate who Jesus is and what he's about. So looking at that, um, bringing it to the current situation with Mary now and Joseph, the story we're very familiar with. Mary and Joseph are betrothed. And in that day, I mean, it's, it's more than engagement. It's, it's, a, it's a secure promise of marriage. Engagement can be anticipation of marriage, but even then sometimes people say, I'm going to call this off. But in that day, you didn't call it off. So Mary is betrothed, but she's pregnant. Now, she knows that she hasn't slept with any, with any man. But Joseph doesn't know that. So Joseph is betrothed, and he feels betrayed. Because he figures, well, I know it wasn't me, but it's got to be somebody, right? So he's figuring out possibly who this is. And so they have this issue going on, very, very awkward moment, I'm sure, in their betrothment. Um, and it took the intervention of two angels to keep the train on the tracks. Because if you look in Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary before, uh, before she's even betrothed, apparently, but comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to bear a son and this son is going to be a big deal. And then um, she goes, but how's, how's that happen? I'm, I'm, I'm a virgin. That's not going to, how's that going to happen? 
And he said, well, this is going to be something of the Holy Spirit. This, God is going to make this thing happen. So she has that message in her heart, and she, she submits to it. She says, okay, let's do it. But then they're betro- she's betrothed to Joseph, and Joseph finds out about her pregnancy. And he, it says in Scripture here in, in Matthew chapter 1, he's being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, so he's resolved to divorce her quietly. That's what he's going to do. So an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, no, wait, you don't understand. I understand you might be upset, you might be suspicious, but she has not been unfaithful to you because this child is of the Holy Spirit. And here's the plan. We're going to name him Jesus. And he's going to be a savior to his people. And so Joseph now gets this message. So now the, all that has been the backstory of Isaiah and the backstory with Matthew. And, and uh, we see how these passages are fused together by this pregnancy and by then the birth of Jesus. So there's a couple of crucial truths that I want us to focus on, and we could focus on many, but there's a couple of tr- crucial truths that I want us to focus on that I want you to understand. These are the truth claims of Christianity, and our faith is built upon this foundation. And I, need to, I want us to make sure that we don't allow this to erode in our own thinking. One truth is this. Jesus is God. Our, our whole faith is built on that. The, the, uh, the incarnation, the, the coming of Christ in the flesh, Jesus is God. Now, the, the far end of that, Paul, is, is the death and resurrection of Christ. And Paul says, you know, if there's no resurrection, then our faith is worthless, and we can just go home and go and do whatever we were going to do anyway. But here we have this beginning with the whole idea of the incarnation, that Jesus is God. Now, when we look at Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> the miracle, the miracle to be noticed especially here is not the miracle of the virgin birth. As miraculous as that is, there's a bigger miracle taking place because through this virgin birth, we have God coming into human history. That's the miracle. That's the miracle we dare not ever let go of, that Jesus is God in the flesh here participating in human history. That's the miracle. And you know, and this is, this is it's a miracle because the baby is both human, he was of Mary, but he's also divine because of the Holy Spirit. He was not of Joseph or any other man. He was divine. And I know that in Matthew's mind, uh, pre-scientific, he, couldn't under, he could never even grasp that. But all he knew is that we have a baby here that's both human and divine. And this is the message, not just of Matthew, but of all the New Testament writers. They talk about the divinity of Jesus. They record, all, and John records Jesus himself saying, um, I'm God. And the, the people who think, well, J- Jesus never, never claimed to be God. Well, no, actually he did. In Exodus chapter 3, in verse 13 to 15, we have the whole conversation taking place um, about Moses saying, well, who, who am I supposed to go and, and tell these people that, who sent me? And God says to him, tell them I am 
has sent you. I am, and, and he goes on just, that became God's verbal signature. The Jews would never even utter the name of God. They revered his name so highly. But here we have God saying, I am. And he, he just teases that out a little bit more. But then we have G, John, uh, Jesus in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59. He's having this friendly debate, not so friendly debate with the Jews. And he tells them, that before Abraham was born, they began this discussion about Abraham and allegiance to Abraham. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. He used God's verbal signature to identify who he was. And we know that was a very powerful statement for him to make because they picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. And there are other places in scripture where he's accused of blasphemy, claiming... Uh, claiming to be equal with God. When he healed the paralyzed man, and he, and he said, the first thing he said to him, your sins are forgiven, and they objected. They said, well, nobody can forgive sins but God. And so Jesus would actually say, well, yeah, that's right, but I am God. He said, but to show you I have power to, to forgive this man, I'm going to heal him physically, demonstrate my power in the physical realm, and then I'll show you my power by that, that shows that I have power in the spiritual realm. But he, he, he was accused of blasphemy several times through his claims and by what he did. So what we have here is we have that, those kinds of accounts. Then we have Paul over in Colossians chapter, chapter 1. He said, he's describing Jesus. He said, Jesus is a visible expression of the invisible God. Nobody had seen God. He's a visible expression of the invisible God. And then he goes over in, in Colossians 2 in verse, eight, verse 9, in case, in case we missed it, he, he tells us, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I mean, you just can't say it any more strongly than that. Jesus is God. Then we go down in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and he talks about that Jesus is the, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So we have God, and we think of God's glory. We think of glory, in this case, as the splendor of something, like the splendor of a diamond, the splendor of a sunset. The spl and it's a beauty, and it's a splendor that radiates out. And he, and he says that Jesus is that radiation of the glory of God to us, making God visible so that we can know him. So we have the testimony of Scripture that Jesus is God, and that is simply a truth claim that we can never negotiate about. That is clearly stated throughout Scripture, and that is who we place our faith in. Now, the other truth that I think we need to clearly understand is that what this means, uh, Jesus is God, what that really means then is that God is with us. Now, we're not talking about in the Old Testament sense of Isaiah chapter 7, where we're going to have this child born and this child is a symbol that God is with us. It's a sign that God is with us. Well, Jesus is more than a sign that God is with us. Jesus is God with us, not just a sign that God is with us. It's not something to be reassured. Not in Isaiah, that was just a reassuring statement. But here, we have God with us physically and actually. Now, why that's important, there's so many implications from that. 
But I, I've highlighted a couple here that I want to bring out. One of them is that with Jesus coming here into human history, into our experience, into the world, we have the end of speculation about God. Now we have revelation about God. Full and complete revelation about God. You know, everybody discusses God. All reli- I mean, all nations, all people, all, they all, everybody has opinions about God. And we can even argue about those opinions if we want. But those are all speculations until God shows up. When God shows up, the speculation is over. Because now we have a real live God in front of us, and now we have to deal with this God that's standing in front of us and telling us all that we need to know about God and, and, and about our relationship with him. It's not any different. I've, I've used this before, but I think, you know, it, today we can have all kinds of, of discussions about aliens, you know, whether aliens exist and if they do, what they're like, could they live here on earth? Do they, do they breathe like they, we do? Do they walk like we do? What, what are aliens like? And we have all kinds of discussions. We can make movies about that, and we have. And... Um, and we, we can discuss that, and we can argue about it, and many people do argue, and that there's whole groups of people and, uh, that, that say, and, and we have more scientific evidence about what aliens are like, and others say, no, we have more scientific evidence. We know what they're going to be like when they finally do show up. You know, we have all this, and how do they communicate? And that's all fine until an alien shows up, Right? When a real alien comes here and stands in, or whatever, it floats in front of us, whatever, then we now have to adjust our speculations to this alien that's really in front of us. And that's the whole situation that we have. That's the magnitude of what happens when Jesus was born. He revealed God to us. It's kind of like he came through a portal. He, he talked about being, I'm from above, he said, and you're from below, and that's okay. He's not putting us down. But he's just saying there's things that you can't know unless somebody from above comes here and tells you about that. And so that's, that's who Jesus is. That's who we put our, our, our trust in and our faith in because of, he's come through that portal and he's come into our experience. And with that, then speculation ends and revelation is hopefully accepted and we put our trust in Christ. That's what that's about. Now, the other um, implication of this, uh, of this is, is this point here. Um, rumors of another world are confirmed. It, it is a universal truth that all people everywhere have some hope about another life where we continue on in that other life. And there's all kinds of, again, speculations about all of that. But with Jesus, he's come here to reveal that there is, in fact, uh, this rumor of another world, the rumors are true. Not all the rumors are accurate, but the rumors are true. There is another world. I've come here to explain that to you and the path to get there so that you won't miss it. In 1 first, in John chapter 3, um, John tells us that, that Jesus, in him is life, eternal life, and those who have the Son have life. 
And then, and then he said, and I, I'm writing these things to you so that you can know that you have eternal life. So the rumors of another world are confirmed, not just that that world is there, but even how to get there. So those are, those are things that, that come to us because of the truth that Jesus is God, and in being God, um, he is with us, and through being with us for those years that he was with us, those, um, what he revealed to us to help us to understand our relationship with God, understand the relationship we're supposed to have with one another, how we can, how we can have that eternal life and, and ex- begin to experience All that is now validated just because of the fact that Jesus came here as God in the flesh. <clears throat> so the only narrative about Jesus that can be considered biblical is the one that sees Jesus as fully human and fully divine. So now we need to go back to the dinner table. Need to go back to our discussions at Thanksgiving and then probably at Christmas when they come up. Uh, just a couple of applications I want you to think about because hopefully what I've been going to sh- show you is that these prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled. Uh, and the fact that they were prophecies means that God had planned all this ahead of time. And it was a supernatural thing where he was revealing in the Old Testament. And then it was understood in the New Testament. And that, that gives us validity to our faith about who it is that was revealed uh, through, through the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. All those things are validated because of that. But as we have discussions with our family and friends over the holidays, a couple applications I want us to think about. One of them is this. Um, bring your conversations back around to Jesus. <clears throat> you know and I know that if we get into talking about Christianity and politics, that's, that's, going to be, that's going to be pretty intense. And we're never going to end up agreeing. But if we can bring the discussion back around to Jesus, I mean, as people, as our family and friends are, are telling us their opinions and their thoughts and that kind of thing, there's, there's a simple question that you can ask that might uh, help focus the discussion. And it's this, to you, who is Jesus? Just asking people that question, to you, who is Jesus? And, and I'd really like to, tell, tell me your thoughts on Jesus. How important is he? Well, who was he 2,000 years ago? Who is he today? Asking and answering that question, letting people answer that, it brings, it brings a discussion back around to the important topic. Because ultimately, it's who is Jesus and what are you going to do with him? So that's the important question to be asking. Bring this session back around to Jesus. <clears throat> and I've been guilty in the past because I like to get into apologetics and I like to get into all kinds of things. Um, just bring it around to Jesus. That's, that's the question they need to answer for themselves. The second is this. Be the continuation of the incarnation to those around you. Because from the beginning, Jesus' plan was not that he was going to stay here for eternity in this earthly body. Because then, you know, all that he did would just be limited to one, one person. His plan from the beginning was to ascend into heaven and then for believers to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit 
whose job it is is to conform us to the image of Christ and help us to live out the values of Christ and the message of Christ around us. You are, if you you are in Christ, you are a continuation of the incarnation. So be that to other people. Kitty likes to say that she feels like her purpose in life, she's kind of narrowed it down to this, very simple. She said, I think my job is to be to other people what God is to me. So to me, she would say, and I would say for myself, what is God like to me? Well, does he jump down my throat when I say something wrong or do something wrong? Actually, does he condemn me for all of that? No, actually, that's been taken care of in Christ. He, He accepts me regardless of my faults and my failures. And so with other people, I need to treat them the way I'm treated by God. So if God's accepting of me, I need to be accepting of them. I don't have to agree with them, but I can still issue acceptance outward to them. And I can love them and I can forgive them just as I've been loved and forgiven by God. So be the, incarn- the continuation of that incarnation that came first in Christ. Be a continuation of that in your world with the people you encounter and demonstrate to them and help them to be drawn to the Christ that is in you. And then likely they're going to receive, they're willing to discover the message of Christ that you'd like to share with them. So um, bringing this all back down to simply be, uh, bring your conversations around to Jesus uh, and then be the incarnation, that continuation of the incarnation to others and see how that impacts your holiday season as you engage with the people that you're with uh, in these special time of the year. Let me close this in prayer, uh, and then we'll move on to the rest of our, our service together. Lord, um, we are grateful that you love us. We're grateful that you became one of us to reveal yourself to us, to be engaged with us, to live with us, and to know our frailties, but also here to redeem us and to bring us into your family. All these things are true uh, beyond our wildest imagination, but, uh, and they're the substance of our faith. I mean, Jesus is, is the focus of our faith, but, but Lord, you, you, were given the, you provided these truth claims so that we could know that uh, we, could, we could rely on what you say, we could put our trust in you, and I'm grateful for that. Lord, may we be believers individually and then as a church, a church family that lives out these truths well uh, for your glory and for your honor. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.